0: All right, good morning, folks. I'm glad you're here today. It is Sunday, March 6th, 2022. We're going to get as far as we can from 1 Corinthians 7, 17. As close to the end of the chapter as we can get. Oop, I'm tangled. And... uh, I've titled this lesson today, Changed, Then Unchanged. Sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? But uh, um, we'll, we'll see what the Bible says about that here in a few minutes. So let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your blessings today. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to live confidently uh, for you today. And help us to understand what your word has for us this morning and to live it out today and this week. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to start reading from 1 Corinthians 7. And we're going to start in verse 17. But I want to give you a couple of, uh, of um, um, questions that are rhetorical. And you can answer these in your own mind. Uh, but the question, first one is, is do we live confidently for the Lord and the next question is is if our situation changed for the worse would we still follow the Lord with all our heart Um, I think those are questions that are legitimate questions that we have to ask um, ourselves as we look at the things that are going on in the world around us and also um, even if things don't change you know we don't see culturally things changing for the worst if, if things change just in our day-to-day lives for the worse, um, you know, in relationship to our jobs, or our, our relationships with our families and things like that, would we still follow the Lord with all our heart? So let's start in, I'm um, just going to read verses 17 through 24 to begin with. He says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation that they were in when God called them. Were you a slave? When you are called, don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when he was called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. And similarly, the one who was free when called is is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God, should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So then this this brings up uh, another statement um, just to think about, and we're going to discuss this a little bit more toward the end of the lesson today, but the call to conversion radically alters an individual's spiritual relationship, but need need not to affect any change at all in the physical relationships that were not immoral. Okay, so, and I see you nodding your head. That's an important part of it, those last two words. Um, Yeah, the call to conversion radically alters an individual's spiritual relationship, but does not need to affect or change at all in the physical relationships that are not immoral. So there's, there's, a fine, there's a line there to differentiate between relationships that are moral, morally correct or morally right with God and relationships that are morally in, incorrect or in, unrighteous with God. Um, so if, we, if we're looking at just in verse 17 to start with, he says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. So, what does God expect at the onset of of salvation, at the beginning of our, our salvation, our repentance? Um, does God call us to change first, then repent? Or does He call us to repent and change? Okay, so the... The, uh, the sequence of events is we hear the Scripture, we understand our, our condition, we hear God's call on our life, and we make the choice to repent first and then allow God to change whatever it is that He wants to change in our life. And if we look at Romans 12.3, um, Paul tells us how we ought to think of ourselves once we are called and once we do repent. He says, for by the grace given me, I I still hear pages turn. I'll give you another second here. This is how we should think of ourselves in every relationship. He says, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. So when we think about what's natural, what comes naturally to us when we're accused of something or convicted uh, of doing something, is we we come to the natural conclusion in our in our it's our nature the war with sin that's going on in our life is to defend ourselves, and and we have to caution ourselves against that. Um, and so when we think about how we think of other people, uh, it's it's a learning experience that not only once it's learned um, do you have to put you have to continually put it into practice so that you don't go back to the old way of, of thinking uh, and that's, that's to me for me is just as difficult um, because there's, there's things that I used to be better at before than what I am now and when I say that that's, that's bringing conviction to myself to say that I've stopped practicing the things that I knew were right in certain areas of my life. So, you know, it used to be easier for me to be compassionate for people. And I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older, but it's becoming more and more difficult for me to be compassionate with people. So I have to practice that. Um, And that means, oftentimes, that means failing at it. And then if somebody brings it to my attention, letting God teach me, okay, you have to put others ahead of your own desires and your own wants. And so that's something that god is you could say is reteaching in my life or or reminding me of as peter puts it um that we need to be constantly reminded of those things and so in the in this particular passage paul is talking about um, in 17 through through 24 he's talking about remaining in the situation that you were in and of course this is in regard to marriage uh with the verses coming up to that so i'll get you in just a second um and I brought up a point, is what if the relationships that we were in at the time of conversion is immoral? I want you to think about that question and then while while Jim shares with us.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say that in both first 7 and Romans 12, talking about the body of Christ. Right.
0: Right. When you're saved, it doesn't mean keep all the relationships that you had before you were saved. Yes. It's saying that in whatever
1: place God saved you, whatever you're at, whatever is going on in your
0: life, you can use it there. Right, right. And that leads right into the question that I was just asking. What if the relationships that we had at the time of conversion were immoral relationships? Um, what do we do then? And so in our culture today, Uh, marriage is no longer defined as one man and one woman. Does that mean that someone who is in a marriage that's recognized by the government or by the state, that's in a marriage or a relationship that's recognized by them, but God is not described as accurate marriage, what do they do in in that case? If one of them converts and fully surrenders their life to Christ, Okay? And how do you do that? That's, that's the correct answer. But what are the steps? What would you do or how would you advise a person in that circumstance? Glad you asked that question. So if we go back to <laughs> if we go back to Genesis 1, and keeping in mind this is a person who was who was lost, who had no understanding about the scripture, and they and they um, truly gave their life to Christ they have an understanding that they're a sinful person and they say I want to follow Jesus teach me more I want to know and they are completely so when they become saved and decide to surrender their life to Christ they don't know they just they know don't they ha- need to do that but then they also need to learn what that means right so so there needs to be discipleship That's and that's the description of that so how do we disciple somebody in that and understanding that when they said that they fully convert, they are also acknowledging this is what God's word is. This is God's word, and it's true, and I will do what it says. And so you lead them through what, how God defines marriage, uh, how God defines, you know, if, if they haven't already understood what sin is. So if we look at Genesis 1, in verses 26 and 27, then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, this crosses all bounds of what we call gender today. It crosses all bounds of what we call marriage today. And the next verses continue to follow up in that. If we just go to chapter 2 of Genesis, verses 20 through 24. And this, again, it's, it's easy to go to these passages and say, this is not my opinion, this is just what God says. This is true. And so if we start reading in verse 20. Uh, as soon as I can find it here. So the man gave names to all the livestock and birds of the sky and all the wild animals. Um, I think I wrote down the wrong. Oh no, this is right. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with, uh, with flesh. Then the Lord made Woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is at a point when there's still no sin uh, in the world. In Mark 10, verses 6 through 9. We read this a couple weeks ago. Um, We'll just take a look at it again. Jesus reiterates um, on that topic. Jesus describes what we just read. But at the beginning... Of creation, God made them male and female. For the reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, uh, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's an important line right there, what God has joined together. Um, and the reason why is because if marriage doesn't fall within the uh, the description of what God gives us, God did not put them together. So um, any other description of marriage except you know that, that falls outside of God's description of marriage is not a godly marriage. It's not a godly relationship. So if we turn to 1 Corinthians 6, we're reminded again because of the immorality that's taken place in Corinth, um, we're reminded that sexual union with someone is a, a becoming one in flesh with something or someone, excuse me, other than the one that God has put together. So if we look at verses 16 and 17... Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, and he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere. Uh, did I read the wrong? Yes, I'm sorry. That's another verse that I'm going to read in a minute. Chapter 6, <laughs> verses 16 and 17. Sorry about that. I was just one page off. Um, actually back up to verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And so he goes on to describe how we should flee uh, from sexual immorality um, and how sin that is committed, any other sin that's committed is a sin outside of the body. But sexual sin, you commit sin against your own body uh, as well as outside the body. So then one thing that we need, that we're describing here is for a new convert, um, the need to understand and acknowledge how God defines marriage, how God defines gender, uh, and also how God defines sin. So then if we start looking at John chapter 3, I know I'm giving you a lot of passages of Scripture to look at. We're going to look at just a few more. John 3. John 3.15. okay if we i'm sorry let's back up to 14 let's read 14 and 15 just as moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so the son of man must be lifted up okay and we understand that that's a picture of jesus being put up on the cross that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him so how do how do we define believe obey and that's important to understand um When we read words like this in the Scripture, it's important to realize that culturally to believe is just to acknowledge verbally, say, yeah, that could be true. And when Jesus describes believe or the Bible describes believe, it changes what we do. It automatically convinces us that what we're doing needs to change and when we allow God to 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 lead us to that change and we choose to obey what he says that is what believing is and i think that he always uses the word believe mhm yes right right Right. And Jesus says, if your sins are going to be forgiven, you have to. Right. And in the Gospel of John, it says, if your sins are going to be forgiven, you have to believe. Right. So believing is repenting. And, and repenting is believing. Right. And so to simplify repenting, it's turning away from sin and turning to God and acknowledging what he says is true. Um So then if we go to chapter 14, Seven. I'm going to give you several <laughs> writings of John's. Um because I like just what what you were just saying, uh, John is, is very good at giving that description. So if we look at chapter 14, verses 15 and 16, "If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and will be with, and be with you forever. So the Holy Spirit, we know is being described here as the advocate and if we continue to read in this chapter Jesus tells the disciples that the spirit is with you now in me the spirit will be in you later when the advocate comes and that spirit will tell you exactly what to do and John gives us
1: that precise order in
0: that yes Right. My first command is right. It's not a work, right. It's not a earning, right. It's, a command. it's confessing, Lord, what you say about me is true, and is right, and I need to allow you to change me. Yes. So then, if we go on to First John, and I'll bring this full circle here in just a couple of minutes. First John chapter two. He writes very similarly, as we just read in the Gospel of John, verses 3 through 6. I'm just going to read verse 3 to start with and then comment on this. We know that we have become to know him if we keep his commands. I'm going to stop right there. I'm just going to ask a rhetorical question for you to think about. Have you ever been in a situation where you have felt a conviction and you've just been and you've been standing there going, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or I know I should step in and intervene, but I don't. Maybe I'm the only one that's and I don't know if I'm portraying that clearly. <laughs> there have been times in my life when I've said, yes, I'm a believer, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, and Jesus has shown me clearly in his word what I need to be doing. About different things that He wants to cleanse from inside me, uh, and and remove to make me more like Christ, and I've went. I'm just not ready to do that right now. Please don't pressure me. And He's saying here, if we know, this is how we can know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commands. And I look at those times in my life, in my life, and I go, I'm not convinced. I wasn't certain that I could know that I was his, but you know what I would do? I would convince myself that I said a prayer and I asked God to forgive me, and he did. And I would convince myself of that when John says, in verse 4, whoever says, I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. I would lie to myself to convince myself that I was with the Lord when I really wasn't. right yep right 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 so continuing on but if anyone obeys his word love for god is truly made complete in them and this is how we know we are in him whoever claims to live in him must live as jesus did and so, how did Jesus live? If we go back to don't we don't have to turn there, but just a reminder in John seventeen, Jesus in, in near the beginning of his prayer, he says, "I did everything you told me to do. Now sanctify me and sanctify them." And he and he continues on to to um, follow through with got with what was already predetermined at the beginning of before creation that he was going to die on the cross. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's an important question because um, I forget where it's at, and you can probably help me with that, but it, it's, the Bible says that the Spirit never speaks on his own, but he only speaks what God has already said. And so how do we comp- know that if it's the Holy Spirit or not is there will never be anything in the Scripture that goes against it, and you will always be able to find things in the Scripture that will confirm those things. It right.
1: Right.
0: Excuse me. That is, I'm not worried about hell, right. 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 And I believe there's a proverb also that says that the righteous have the boldness of lions. So when you're doing what you know is right in God's eyes, you know and understand that you are in his full protection at that moment. Um, and and that we stand, you know, because we are obeying what he has called us to. So um, even if it costs us our life, that's a description of what Jesus says when he he says take up your cross. It means following him all the way to the death, even if you are persecuted to death like the disciples were, like Paul was, um, obedience all the way to that point brings the reward that is in heaven that we can look forward to And it takes the fear out of that. Yes. I agree with Jim, but during a time of trial can double put fear back in. You have to allow it. Uh So in other words, when when the the Bible gives us instruction to think about whatever's true, to think about whatever's holy, whatever's righteous, and put those things into practice in order for Permission for those kind of thoughts to come into our mind, we have to allow ourselves to entertain those thoughts. And obedience in the trial more than anything else solidifies confidence. Yes. So Job, all through the book of
1: Job, he never cursed God or doubted God. And at the end of Job, he said,
0: Before I heard it, now I'd seen you. Yeah. I spoke of things too
1: wonderful for me to understand.
0: Right. Right, and the same with Abraham. So he says in the middle of his trial, I know that my redeemer lives, and at the end of it all, I will stand before him. Right. He's, he would have
1: looked horrible. Right. And he had lost everything. And in the middle of that, he says, I know that I'm going to meet my
0: Maker. Right, right. So we read in Philippians too uh Philippians chapter 4 as well, to, to not be anxious for anything, but with every situation, prayer and petition, let your requests be n- made known to God. Paul writes that, but he was also anxious about, uh, I forget his name, one of his friends that were sick and he was ready to die. Is it Epaphroditus? Epaphras, yeah, thank you. Um, he was ready to die, and he says, I was anxious about that. And he writes that he, I had to obey my own words that, that Christ had taught him. He had to obey that for himself to, to put his anxieties and to put his stresses on Christ Uh, and to continue to practice that. Do you think that um, some of that is a growing process? Yes. Yeah, I've... Try to stay obedient, but yes, it's a learning process. Yeah, it's... Yeah, a lot of it doesn't happen overnight, but I would also say that I've seen some people, I've observed some people that have gotten saved... And they're just enamored with, so enamored with the scripture that they read, and they read, and they read, and they read, and they have a photographic memory, and they, and they, they you see a very quick and drastic change, which is not bad in itself. But Paul warns um, when it comes to putting people into leadership and that kind of thing, to be careful with someone that is in that position. Not to necessarily question their um, their salvation, but to make sure that they've had practice standing under trial um and, and maturing um so that they're not they, they're they not put in situations where they could fall. Uh that kind of thing. Right. Right. When you fail trials it's really the trials that progress. Right. So Jesus accepts the things that he allows in our lives. Right. Right. It's a good point. Right.
1: So by the time Paul says, "I can do all things through Him who gives me strength," he has. Mm-hmm. So Paul was tested for ten years before he became a missionary. Moses mm-hmm. was tested for forty years before he led Israel. Yeah. Joseph was tested for eleven years in prison before he was prime minister. Right. So God controls the tests so that we can pass the test that we're ready for today. Right. Right. And like Chris said, those are like scars that build our muscles. Mm -hmm. So that obedience in what he asked me today will enable me to be obedient in what he asked me to do tomorrow.
0: Right. Right, and the important, I think the important message in what you're describing is the three that left were unsaved because there was no spirit inside of them that brought conviction that said, you need to repent of this and then move back into fellowship. They said, oh no, I can't do that, and they walked away and didn't come back. And so you know, John describes that as, as people that have left um, the faith and left the body of believers, and he says they, they left not because it was just difficult. They left because they never really truly were ours to begin with. They never really truly were Christ to begin with. And so, uh, and that's, that's an important thing, though, is, is, you know, what both of you are saying is if I do fail, Peter describes that there is, uh, he says, like, newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. So there is an element to spiritual immaturity or, or growth that is taking place. And then Paul tells us to get into the deep truths of the word. And so there is a maturity level that comes uh, with practice through trials. Um, and so when you talk about that, that particular that parable, or the, the parable of the, the sower, um, he's describing people that look like Christians for a little while and are, true, are not truly his, because there is no fruit being produced. And then they continue to they move away when things become difficult. So back to 1 John um, in chapter 2. And looking at verses 20 through 25. And these are all verses that are based on the same type of thing. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth, who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Um, So when we read that word acknowledges, um, it's not just a verbal acknowledgement it's an obedience to or a submission to if we jump down to chapter 3 verse 10 he says this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister chapter 3 verse 10 uh, just read that nineteen through twenty four. Excuse me. the same chapter. This is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. That word, the words we know uh, in the Greek, are is the same word that's translated persuade. Uh, we're convinced. Um, if. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commands us to do. Verse 24, The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So then uh, one more passage, chapter 5 in 1 John verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So, If you're not obeying his commands, are you his son? Are you his child? No. If you're not his child, is there any hope for overcoming the things of the world? No, there's not. There's always going to be that that tearing struggle. Um, And so back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, In verse 17, he said, this is the rule, the second part of the verse, this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. And he describes it, we read previously uh, in weeks past, in chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. He says, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, and he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Now, that's kind of the long answer to the question that I asked earlier and the, the, the uh, description that I gave. The call to conversion radically alters an individual's spiritual relationship. Um but the need but there's there's no need for change in relationships that are immoral so back to my question what if the relationship that a person is in is immoral and one of those two converts to Jesus Christ i think this passage specifically addresses that in the case of that if the one who converts completely understands what sin is They completely understand God's plan in marriage, understands the picture of salvation that it is, and also understands that this is how God structured marriage to be. The relationship that I'm in is not a godly, it's not put together by God, even though it may be acknowledged by the government. That person, as they choose to live for Christ, will naturally offend the other person, and they will want to move away. And separation is not only allowed, but it's encouraged in this particular sense for the one to follow Jesus Christ. And so the description that's given here, that he's given here, he also describes circumcision and uncircumcision and slave and free. Those are separate. Um, Those are disputable matters. But in a case where someone that's in a, a... um, immoral relationship that converts to Christ, it's impossible for them to stay in that relationship and 100% follow Christ. And so, the steps that are given to to follow through with that are not steps of, "Ooh, I can't I can't do this anymore. I need to kick away from you as fast and as hard as possible." But to offer salvation to the to the other person as well as following Christ and then moving on out of that relationship. Am I making sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, Maybe I'm not being clear on it. Right, right.
1: Right.
0: Right. So the immediate decision An hour before marriage To a lost person would be I oh, can't marry you And an mm-hmm. hour after would be Okay, I'm going to follow Christ right right. um, If
1: that's okay with you I'm going to follow Christ
0: yeah. and, and if it's not okay with you You're choosing not to be with me Right, right Right, not me right. And, I, and I agree uh,
1: Yeah Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, that's, that's where that becomes so difficult today is because you, you have to back up. Not only do you have to say, okay, in, in the relationship, a marriage relationship, if one is a Christian and one's not, you live as long as there's peace in the home uh, and obedience is not being squ- uh, squashed. Um, you have to back up even further and say, this is how God defines marriage. First. And if that's not the situation that you're in, that now is an immoral situation. And Paul's saying, you have to move out of that first. That's, that's the number one thing, or the first step that has to happen. And in order for that to happen is to make clear um, how God defines marriage. And then, okay, am I continuing in sin if I remain in this situation and don't allow it to change? And what Paul is saying in this is, Remain in the situation you're in as long as it's a, a godly marriage that's described in Genesis 1, Genesis 2. If it's that structure in the home and there's peace there and there's not contention, stay there. And, and so the, the reason why I brought all of these other passages into play today is because what Jim was just describing is the decision needs to be made ahead of marriage. Those, that is actually described in verses 25 through the end of the chapter. Uh, and he goes into, if you're not married, don't live your life seeking a spouse. In, in a nutshell, that's what he's saying. He's saying live your life following after Christ. And if Christ wants to bring you a spouse, let him prepare that person, bring them to you, and then say, here you go. <laughs> How do we do it Today. Wow, she's kind of cute. I wonder if she wants to go out, <laughs> you know? Or, wow, he's really kind of nice, you know? I, I I wonder if he would be interested in me, you know? And that's that's how we do it. That's how culturally we've been told that that's, that's what you do. And I, I, I laugh because um, Tracy and I used to watch the, the, the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And if you guys are familiar with the movie or not, the the guy's driving down the street. He stops at a stoplight and he looks at his daughter and he goes, "You look old. You need to get married." <laughs> you know, I'm like, "Wow, okay." But that's that's our culture today: get married, have children, have a good career, um, grow old, have grandchildren, and and those aren't bad things in themselves. But when they come become priorities over what God's plan is is for our lives, then we kind of then we really get off track. And a lot of times then when we get do get older, we don't realize, we don't understand, wow, this is not how I had hoped my life would go. And so it's important to back up. America, is divorce. <laughs> Who <laughs> said that? Yeah, I, I never thought of it like that, but that's true. So, yeah. Um, just real quickly, he goes into circumcised or uncircumcised. Uh, Verse 18, was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So, These are, like I said, considered disputable matters described in Romans 14.1. But circumcision or uncircumcision, Jew or Gentile, is what he's really saying here. Messianic Jews should not seek to undo their circumcision or their traditions to circumcise. uh, And Gentile believers should not yield to the Jewish pressure for circumcision. And he describes this in detail in Galatians 5 verses 1 through 6. Uh, you can jot those down and go to those later. We've looked at those in the past. Uh, but then he describes slave, or, or I, put, I wrote down slave or slave because um, the reason why I put it down like that in my notes is because we become a slave for Christ and we, we depart from slavery of man. So a Christian's vocational situation uh, is a matter of little consequence. If the status can be changed to further benefit service to the Lord, that's all well and good. But if it cannot, it's not a matter for worry. And he describes it uh, that way. But each believer should be seeking what God's purpose is in that specific situation. Every vocation then becomes Christian service performed for our master. So if it's a case where your job does not permit you to serve Christ in a capacity that He has called us to do, that He calls everyone to do. Absolutely, you you kick free you kick free from that slavery. But if it's a situation, I, I'm in a situation where my job permits me to participate in everything that God wants me to participate uh, in. Um, it's very rare occasion that that there's pressure to you know to to do not participate in, in something. Um, and I I am grateful for that. But if it's a situation where my boss came to me and said, Dave, I need you to work on Sundays, and, uh, you know, that's just all there is to it. There's just too much work, and we need to get caught up. Then it's my responsibility to either say, you know what, I'm sorry, I can't do that, and if you're going to require that of me, I'm I'm sorry, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. I won't be here on Sunday. Um, And even if it's a point where, Uh, say on wednesday night wednesday night is not instituted by god directly for us to you know as a command like sunday is but if our desire is to please god in everything and we we genuinely want to free our schedule i'm convinced that if we lay that before the lord that eventually he will bring it to the place where we are able to uh, participate in that yes
1: That's a good point. As I was walking the church this morning, um an example with Paul. Paul would tell every one of us you could eat meat sacrificed to an idol. Yep. But then he says, But if me eating meat sacrificed by the idol makes Brian think, ah, Jimmy eats meat sacrifice, and I will never do it again. Which yes. Right. and he wants no part of Timothy to limit the gospel going
0: forward right. so he has a Jewish mother and a great father
1: and it sounds hypocritical but it's, it's putting Timothy forward and tearing down walls in front of him so Paul says that anything that I do as a believer that I know before God God accepts if it offends another believer I won't,
0: won't do it before. right Right, Right, and he also speaks to that in just in the next verses, we'll get into next week. Um, he says, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. He's not saying that marriage is more godly than not being married. Um, and in, in this particular instance, it's always for the advancement of the gospel. So if, if my testimony about Jesus Christ going forward means I can't handle not being married, get married, so that you don't fall into sexual immorality. So in the case of, of Timothy, I, I agree completely When Paul says, I become all things to all people. If there's things that he can do or, or refrain from doing, that are not immoral and are not going to change the gospel message, but are going to open up opportunities for him to share the gospel, he steps into those things uh, every time so that he opens up the opportunity, the doors are open for him to, to participate. So that's a good question. That's, a, that's an important one to ask um, as well, uh, because in this day and age, you know, um, there are things that, that cross our paths, that in themselves, one way or the other, are not immoral, are are not sin, um, and they're not necessarily righteous, but if they do open up an opportunity to share the gospel, um, then we should be willing and able to step into those things. So, all right, thank you for your attention this morning. Sorry, I went over it a little bit on time.